ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. They look so formal and fancy that they look like like if an alien landed and an ambassador came down from the ship. Like they've got this sort of ridiculous fanciness to them. They have these two vocal sacs, which are, it's basically their esophagus. So they inhale air and inflate their esophagus into a giant balloon. And then there are two places where that can extend into the outside world. And as they're vocalizing, they do this boom, boom, boom sound that just is like a bubbling, weird, booming sound. They are quite extraordinary and deeply weird. It's just a really weird display. What the duck is she talking about? Anne Jones with you, and this is What the Duck, the program inspired partially by my saintly phone's inability to swear and partially by my inability to leave a good question unasked. And in this episode, the sage grouse. I'm not just saying a collection of words, it's a bird species. It's found in North America. And it looks like a cross between Cruella de Vil, a bush turkey and Spike from Degrassi Junior High. The males have a ridiculous dance display to attract mates that literally sounds like this. That's not sound effects. It's the male being sexy. But there's more to this story than boys just being boys and showing off with boob-shaking hiccups. And I love thinking about the fact that for whatever reason, female sage-grouse have decided that this is what they want to see. (laughs) And so that's what we're seeing. Apparently, this absurdity of the natural world, this literal bloke puffing his chest out, is an example of how female choice has shaped evolution? You reckon? Let's explore the duck out of this. Sage grouse are an absolutely ludicrous bird. Lucy Cook is the author of Bitch, a revolutionary guide to sex, evolution and the female animal. Basically, they gather in these essentially like sage grouse discotheques. It's disco time. They've got like this throat sack that they can inflate like a balloon, but it, it sort of bulges forth from feathers on their neck like two. They look like shop dummy breasts. <laughs> it's just sort of like pop out. Their neck ruff makes them look like a groupie with an oversized Sherpa jacket and their cleavage out. And then they make this kind of weird doink, 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 doink. Doink, 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 doink. So they're sort of beatboxing and then dancing in, in this kind of, I mean, they're about the size of a turkey and, and 20 times as silly. So they're basically a chicken-like bird. Professor Gail Patricelli studies evolution and ecology at the University of California, Davis. And she's got a bit of a soft spot for the sage grouse. And those feathers on their chest are all spiky so they can swish their wings across those feathers and make a sound that's similar to how a cricket makes a sound. It's stridulation. Stridulation, rubbing body parts together to make a sound. It's just getting hotter and hotter in here, isn't it? 
and their vocal sacs expand and contract and go through this whole very elaborate motion while they're vocalizing. Like beatboxing and body popping, you know, their hearts out. And so it's this whole audio-visual phenomenon. And then on their face, they have yellow combs over their eyes. They have very fancy phylloplume feathers on the back of their head that they swish around. The phylloplume feathers are a special fine sort of feather that's just the wispy bits that blow in the slightest breeze like a pair of Miss Piggy's eyelashes. And so they are really, really over the top. You are not wrong. This behaviour of all grouping together for a mating event is called lecking, and the place they choose to do it, a lek. And so a lek is a gathering of males or the area where they gathered. The name sort of applies to both of those things. So the males will come together and puff up and strut around. Sounding a bit like a hardware store on the weekend. And females visit the lek and comparison shop for a mate. And so in the sage grouse, an open area with a big open field. The males are all out there in a group, puffed up and strutting around, and the females are moving around as a group, checking out the different males. And once they decide who they want to mate with, often almost all the females will want to mate with the same few males. And they will. I think I saw a movie like this once. This apparently bohemian lecking isn't specific to sage grouse. Lots of different animals use this as a way of getting together to get together. The Andean cock of the rock. I'm not making this up. Fiddler crabs. Truly, I'm not making this up. The Uganda knob antelopes. I mean, okay, enough with the double entendre names, you biologists. Uh, great bustards, tarantula hawk wasps, desert pupfish, some of the ghost moths, fruit flies, they all use variations of the lek. But what's going on with the female sage grouse? What agency does she have in this sexy lecky party? The females are sort of your classic little brown job. That's Birdespeak for a nondescript sort of bird that's brown. And they're just literally just sort of like pecking away at the ground, like like they're paying no attention at all. The hens will walk around in a group, but most of the time when they're walking around, they're pecking at the ground. And they could be foraging anywhere, but they're on the lek. So it looks like, you know, all the sort of Victorian stereotypes writ large. You've got these males competing, and then you've got these passive females who don't seem to be doing much. It's really hard not to read that into their behaviour. At first glance, it appears like the males are in control of the party. They're absolutely dominating the social sphere. But what's really going on? Well, it's taken quite a while to work it out. Back in the 1930s, scientists thought that maybe the bloinking sounds were aimed at each other, as in the males were talking to other males rather than the females. They described the females' behaviour as disinterested. Despite the fact that, seemingly out of nowhere, there were potentially a hundred females from miles all around, just in one place at one time, as if it was happen chance or the wind blew them in there or something. And the thing is, part of the answer to this was already in the scientific literature, if they could just look past the males. Darwin is famous for his theory of evolution by natural selection. Yeah. 
the beefcake of the biology world, Charles Darwin. Which is basically change over time, that, you know, famously survival of the fittest. And that's Lucy Cook again, author of Bitch. But it doesn't explain all that we see in nature. So after Darwin had, you know, huge success on the origin species, he then produced his, what one might call his difficult second album, which was Sexual Selection. Then there was his third, a quite popular album, Baby Got Back. This was an effort to explain the kind of most extravagant, exuberant findings in nature. The great example is the peacock's tail. The male peacock has this extraordinary tail and the female peahen doesn't. Looking at straight natural selection, how can that extravagant tail be an advantage? Natural selection, you know, survival of the fittest, the one who hunts best, who dominates at hide and seek, who can fly like the wind. None of that explains the peacock's tail, which frankly gets in the way of all activities. So what's going on? Darwin famously said that the sight of a peacock's feather tormented him, you know, and he eventually came up with this, <laughs> this idea of sexual selection. So that it wasn't just a quest for survival that shaped the course of evolution. It was a quest for mates that also did. So he decided that there were actually two forces involved in sexual selection male competition and female choice. So males would compete for females and then females would choose a male and that would then result in these extraordinary extravagances, either ornaments like the peacock's tail or armaments like the antlers of a stag. It, it was incredibly controversial when he put it forth. He was actually giving females agency. You know, he was actually saying that female choice was one of the forces and that went down like a lead balloon in Victorian England because, of course, you know, that, that suggested that females were shaping the evolution of males, mm -hmm. um, which was extremely <laughs> heretic stuff. And Gail Patricelli studies this heretic stuff, female choice and how it impacts the evolution of a species. The species I study are males displaying, females choosing. Darwin talked about how these displays were to impress females, and he talked about it in a very aesthetic way to basically stimulate her aesthetic sense, her sense of beauty. And he talked about the fact that they might give her some sort of information, and, but the idea was that females were choosing, and that was very controversial, partly because the Victorian scientists didn't except the idea that animals could choose. Non-human animals were actually making choices. But it was also the idea that females were in the driver's seat. Vroom, vroom. So why does the peacock look like he does? Because that's what females want to see. Females are the artists who shape these males over evolutionary time. And they are the reasons, they're the evolutionary drivers of the situation. And um, it, it took a long time for that idea to be accepted. Okay, okay. But... You've all just described these absolutely absurd males getting around with inflated vocal sacs and a feather boa, and the females, well, they're just pecking away in the sagebrush trying to get a meal. They don't really seem like active participants. I gotta say that when I'm sitting on the, on the lek in a, in a hunting blind, you know, we look through, we watch um, from a, a hide on the lek and, and watch these behaviours and 
it really does look a lot like that. <laughs> the hens, the hens will walk around in a group, but most of the time when they're walking around, they're pecking at the ground, and they could be foraging anywhere, but they're on the lek. So as they're walking around, pecking at the ground, they are listening and looking at these males and paying attention and deciding who they want to mate with. Huh, they're multitasking. And then once they get more serious about, you know, getting closer to actually wanting to mate with the male, they'll spend more time sort of upright and, you know, looking in the general direction of the male. So the females are completely engaged in the process, but their communication is subtle. The exact opposite of their male counterparts, whose boinking and tight turns are very eye-catching indeed. If there's a female in front of them, they just go for it. They just strut their little hearts out uh, because that's what's going to convince her to mate with him either that day or some other day. Okay, but it's still sort of sounding like the alpha males are winning out so far. The flashiest, most boinky bloke gets the bird. Well, we had one year where this one male just ruled the lack. He was so sexy that all the females that showed up just went straight to him. He was like the Wilt Chamberlain of Sagegrouse. You know, that American basketball player who said he slept with 20,000 women? We were actually trying experiments. We wanted to see if we could test different things, but the females were totally uninterested in anything other than this one male. Uh, maybe it was a quiet year in Wyoming that year. And so he made it over uh, over 130, I think 137 times during the breeding season. Exhausting. 30 of those matings were on a single morning when I was out there watching oh. over just a few hour long period of time. And 23 of those mating events we're in a single 23-minute-long period of time where he made it once a minute for 23 straight minutes. That little turkey baster must have been red raw. And he was just surrounded by hens, all soliciting copulation from him. And he was just going from one hen to the next. There are all sorts of questions that I'm sure you want to ask after hearing them. Mm, yeah. Which is like, how is there enough sperm? And yeah. How do they do this? Um, but uh, copulation in birds is actually very quick. And, um, and yeah, there's very strong selection to be ready if they get the opportunity to be that guy. They're strutting all day long. They do this display, this action replay display that they're performing. They do it all morning long. And this guy, he was like, just, you know, pumped up. <laughs> he would be out there first thing in the morning and he would strut hard all day long and be the last one to leave. And he was there all season long. And the other guys all just seemed to need to take a coffee break here and there. And he just kept going. <laughs> he was, he seemed like he was working very hard, but. Um, Is it true that you yeah. named him Dick? Yes, um, he was he was Dick. It was our field crew that named him Dick. Um, and it was, you know, it added it was a lot of humor during the season. We enjoyed we enjoyed laughing about that. But quite apart from the frankly heroic efforts of Dick, there are lessons in this. Of course there are. Ironically, Dick's dominance is actually because of female choice. Anyway, sexual selection is extraordinarily strong on Lex um, because just a few guys do most of the mating. And this can happen in sage-grouse Lex because... Um, because males don't provide parental care. 
In fact, the females will fly off and make a nest in the vicinity of the lek, sometimes up to 20 miles away from it, and the father is never to be seen again until the next disco lek. Females, if they all want to mate with one guy, then they will all mate with that one guy. It's not like he's going to pay child support anyway. But it does mean that you can get a whole year's worth of chicks from a handful of fathers. Lecking is not a very equitable gene distribution mechanism per se. As a general rule, up to 80% of the females in a lek will mate with just 10 to 20% of the males. And so you can end up with very strong sexual selection because whatever that one guy is doing, he's the one passing on almost all of the genes to the next generation. <laughs> so, so you end up with very strong selection. So if the females really like his chesticles or the particular feistiness of his boinks, those traits are selected for strongly. Yeah, so lecking behaviour is where sexual selection is the strongest and where female choice just rules the day. It's where we see the most aesthetically incredible species because basically their entire courtship display has been shaped by what females want to see when they're choosing their mates. It's not about who fights the best. And not about their territory. Their ability to defend themselves with giant antlers and horns. Their nest building or their ability to provide for young, for example. It's really all about what do females want to see. And it turns out sage-grouse females want song, dance and body percussion. We just get these over-the-top displays. It's one of those ideas, female choice, that warrants more and more research because the more we poke around in this sandpit of female desire, the more we find gold. And by poke around, I mean a sage-grouse sex robot. Here's Lucy. Well, what Gail did in order to sort of, you know, really drill into what's really going on is she created a robot female sage-grouse out of a taxidermy bird, a robot she bought on the internet, and a pair of Spanx. So my lab group, we built a robotic female sage-grouse. So she's basically built on a tank kit from a, you know, you can buy this on robots.com. And it's a tank kit with these, you know, burly little tires. And the rest of it is a taxidermied bird. She's a majestic taxidermied bird, though. Okay, maybe a little worse for wear looking, but she does have an aerial coming out her back. And if you lift her wings off, like the lid of a casserole, it's very disconcerting to find a remote control tank underneath. And if you had concerns that the males would clue onto the fact they were trying to seduce a robot, don't worry. Yeah, well, the first generation robot we built um, was very primitive. She was on G-scale model train tracks. She really did not look very realistic, but the males are not very picky. They really are so excited to mate. When there are no hens around, no real females or robotic females around, they're often trying to mate with these dried cow pies, cow patties, right? Um, and they're, you know, brown and round and apparently female-like enough <laughs> that, that the males will, will get excited. But basically, we had to make a robot that was more attractive than a cow pie. It is able to look back and forth and tilt forward and perform all of these behaviours that we observe real females doing. This is key. The robo-grouse is able to do the movements that a female would normally do on a leg. 
Yeah, she's got some skills. Time to deploy the Robograss. The actual experiments, it's often me in the blind driving with this little thing. The blind being a little camouflage tent with a restricted view of the area, but within radio control range of the robot. And somebody else is looking down from the hill above. With a walkie-talkie. Telling me, go to the left, go to the right, slow down, <laughs> stop here. And helping direct, um, it's quite a production. When they arrive at the lek, especially when they're flying in, they often make this quacking sound. <laughs> when we're about to send the robot out, I usually do a playback of that sound. So basically it sounds like there's a female arriving on the lek and you can see the males. If they were in the middle of a coffee break, when they hear that sound, they'll just their their plumes go up and their tail goes up and they start looking around for the, for the hen and all of a sudden she rolls out of this little weird blob of the hunting blind in the middle of the lek. The robot performs these subtle cues, pecking, moving, turning, lifting her head, and the scientists record how the male reacts. And males are paying attention to these female behaviours and they're, they're changing who they invest more energy into and, and how they invest their effort according to those subtle female behaviors. So they're adjusting their behavior according to the cues given by the female. So it's not just the mere presence of a female, it's the communication given by that female and then the male's ability to adjust and then readjust his approach. And if you don't read her cues right, then you're not going to win the girl. Um, I mean, we saw this with our very first robot. We sent the robot out and one male just came barreling right up to her and strutting and he was very excited and then he jumped right on top of her and uh, and tried to mate and we were caught totally off guard because males don't, don't usually do that. They also hadn't really built the robot to be mounted by a Randy Sagegrouse, so he, he sort of destroyed it and they, they didn't get away from him fast enough. But we then watched that male with real females when a real hen would come walk through his territory, he would do the same thing. He would get all excited, go running over to her and start strutting and strutting right in her face. And the real hens just had nothing to do with him. They just left the area. He wasn't listening to what they wanted, so he didn't get a chance to get near them. These sort of social skills seem to be very important, but I don't know that females are looking for the male with the best social skills. They're just... They're just looking for the best display and staying away from anybody who looks like they might take away their ability to choose. Whereas Dick, who mated with basically every birdie in the lake, He was surrounded by hens that all wanted to mate with him. How were the females acting with him? So he might have been surrounded by 50 hens and only 30 got to mate that morning. And so you can imagine there was some competition amongst the hens to be one of the ones that got to mate. So are all the females attracted to exactly the same thing or was there peer pressure involved? They're definitely paying attention to what the other females are doing and there's evidence from other species that older females seem to, you know, the ones that have more experience seem to be in the lead and the younger females are sort of more likely to copy what the older females are doing. We don't know if that's the case in sage grouse, but that would be where I would bet my money. (laughs) So if you're a chick magnet like Dick, and you manage to convince one, then two females to mate, 
the rate of your success will multiply up at a rate of knots. And that in turn means the sexual selection is even stronger. Come on, Dick, you done yet? Yeah, she's making choices based on just whether he can strut really in a high quality way. Like he sounds good, he looks good, but he's he's really strutting hard. He's strutting fast and at a high rate of repetition. He's out all day. And so that's what the female is actually making her choice based on. She's not really assessing his social skills, we don't think. But on the other hand... Consent is sexy. What's the moral of this story then, duckers? Even if you're a sage grouse and you're the top cock at the lek, you've got to you've got to listen to the female in order to get laid. Lucy Cook's book Bitch is brilliant and has hundreds of stories just like this one in it. Thanks to Gail Patricelli and Alan Cracker for providing sage grouse lek sounds. What the Duck is a production of ABC RN and ABC Science, and it's produced by Patria Ladgrove. Presented by me, Anne Jones. It is produced on the lands of the Wadawurrung and Ghana people. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.